All right, all right. Here we go, here we go. What's up, everybody? I'm going to invite Matthew, Matt Barang up. What's up, Matt? Hey, we're going to, you all can grab a seat. Great to see you all chatting and hanging out. Got a nice full house today. That's awesome. And we're going to do our scripture reading and prayer to kind of just get us ready for today's sermon. Uh, so, Matt, take it away, man. Good morning. Is this something on? Okay. Good morning, Grace Hill. How are you all doing? Uh, today, our scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together today to worship you. We thank you for your word, and how, through your Son Jesus, we can rest in you, and that we may take your yoke and learn from you. Father, some of us here today may be struggling, and we pray that no matter how we each may come before you, that you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Thank you, Father, for giving us the ability to have peace in these challenging times. We pray that you will use us for your glory, and this time together will be edifying for your kingdom. Thank you, Father. It's in your most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you, man. Hey, guys, what's going on? Grace Hill Church, how we doing? Good, all right. Good to see you all. Uh, my name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be preaching uh, this morning. And we're going to be continuing on in Luke chapter 11. So you, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll also have it on the screen for you. Luke chapter 11, as Alan has been joking, this is part 847. Just kidding. Uh, but we're excited to continue on in the book of Luke. And uh, before we jump to that, you know, I was watching a documentary this past week about sharks in Australia. Sharks, Mary, did you see that one? Okay, okay, sharks, yeah, it's a thing. Uh, yeah, I watched this cool one called Shark Beach, and it's essentially about, there's, there's been a lot of shark attacks on the east coast of Australia in 2020, like more so than like in 100 years, and so they're trying to figure out what's going on, they're doing a lot of research, um, trying to get the situation under control, and so what they're doing is they are setting buoys all throughout in the ocean there with bait, with fish on them, so that they can trap the sharks, to which then a boat then goes up, hooks the shark, they pull them onto the boat, and they take a bunch of samples, they put trackers on the shark, and it's something that is in the moment painful for the sharks, right, as they're, they're hooked, uh, they're on the boat, they're getting the test taken, they're getting the trackers put in, but it's ultimately something that is done to help the sharks to protect them, to help stabilize the population, to promote conservation of sharks in the whole ecosystem. And it also helps locals too because uh, the sharks have trackers so they can let surfers and beachgoers know, hey, there's a shark in your area, so you need to get out and be safe. And so what is painful for the shark in the moment is actually working to help it, to protect it, to keep it healthy, and also to protect humans as well from shark attacks. And so uh, this is kind of like our passage today. We see Jesus having some tough words with the Pharisees, and it's a little painful, 
But ultimately, it is meant to protect us and to keep us from, uh, from harm, to keep us safe, and to keep us on track with how Jesus calls his children, right? Those of us who have come to him in faith, how to live, how to follow him. So in today's passage, we're going to see Jesus having a sharp interaction with the Pharisees. And again, the Pharisees are really just the Jewish religious leaders of the day um, who, who really pride themselves on their ability to, to know and to follow the law of God in every way. But they're kind of prideful in this, and they seem to enjoy their authority a little too much. And so our Lord Jesus has some difficult things to say about them here in this passage and about how they conduct themselves and how they treat others. And so this, this morning, this isn't your typical uh, Jesus coloring book Sunday school story, right? This is really Jesus in a lot of ways dropping the hammer, right? Because he has to and because he needs to address some issues here. And I think a lot of times, Grace, so we don't, we tend not to like this version of Jesus when he uses strong language or he rebukes someone. We tend to think, man, Jesus, it's kind of harsh. You have to do it that way. We tend to appreciate much more when Jesus is kind, gentle, and mild-mannered when he behaves himself, right? And I think that's more of a reflection on us in our American culture and the particular ideals that we have. But what I love about this passage is that even in the midst of this of these strong words that Jesus has, his strong rebuke of the Pharisees, I would argue that we see Jesus' loving and protective heart for his children, for us, for those who follow him in contrast with really just the way that the Pharisees conduct themselves. We see Jesus going after sin and dealing with it, not because he's mean or harsh, but because he is so committed to love and compassion and truth and holiness. In fact, he's way more committed to all four of those things than you or I are. And so we need his instruction. And part of the reason that Jesus calls out the Pharisees and deals with their sin is not just so that we can kind of feel high and mighty as we read this and think, oh man, I can't believe the Pharisees would do that, but so that we realize our own inclination, right, to be like the Pharisees, so that we can avoid it, we can run the opposite direction and instead live in the way that Jesus calls us to do, how he calls his children to follow him, so that we can follow him in this as he spotlights the sin in our own hearts. And this is timely because uh, very soon, Grace Hill, in the next couple of months, we're going to begin rolling out a new vision for our church, and specifically a vision of what it looks like to be a church that is wholly committed to following the way of Jesus together. And specifically what it looks like to live a life that is surrendered to him, that is built and rooted upon his gospel. And what it looks like for us to be a community that is loving Jesus and loving our neighbors. And so I believe that Jesus' interaction here that we see in this text really helps us to prime the pump for where we want to head as a church. So here we go. We'll dive right in. Let me read our text for today, and then I can pray for us. So Luke 11 Verse 37, it says this. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Right, he invites him in. So he went and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Ouch, here it comes. 
You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms the things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and you love greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and the people walk over them without knowing it. It's really hard language, right? Verse 45, and then one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And so Jesus says, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. And woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. Father, would you help us just to understand this word that you have for us today? Give us eyes to see. And I pray, Father, that in the midst of a tough passage with strong language, that we would see your beauty and your love and your compassion. Amen. And so Grace Hill, man, our goal today is very simple. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to move through our text and observe six actions, six actions that Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and in the Jewish lawyers, and then we're going to look at how how really the way of Jesus stands in opposition to these six actions. Right? We want to look at the two. And here's my ask for you, church, as we walk through this text. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be examining yourself. Be examining your own heart. Ask the Lord to show you blind spots or areas of weakness. I believe that as we ask God to do this, to reveal these things to us in faith, he is faithful to do that. He's just that good. But be prayerfully examining yourself as we move through this text. So let's dive back in. Back to verse 37. Again, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And so the Lord said to him, and we'll stop right there, just a few quick things right off the bat. Jesus is invited into the home of a Pharisee, which we see happening on quite a few occasions. It's very common. They're just going to have some dinner. But then apparently Jesus doesn't wash his hands, right? And it offends the Pharisee. He's shocked. He is astonished. And keep in mind that washing, this type of thing, was important according to Jewish custom, but not according to God's law. Required washing before dinner. It's not in the Old Testament. It's another set of customs that the Jews have followed, but it's not law, and it's certainly not a mark of holiness or how one finds God. Absolutely not. 
But then Jesus, noticing how the Pharisee elevates this custom to such high importance, as good Pharisees like to do, as, as we sometimes like to do, Jesus then decides to address this and deal with what's going on in his heart. And so just, just put a pin on that right there, right? What is Jesus' motivation? He's going after what's happening at the heart level, both for the Pharisee and also, I would argue, for the reader, for us. So verse 39, and the Lord says to him, now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside of the cup also make the inside? But give his alms, those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. And so our first action that we're going to see Jesus addressing today is this. Jesus addresses the Pharisees' greed, their greed. And we know that this is true based on the other interactions that Jesus has with the Pharisees. They were, they were greedy for financial gain. Later on in Luke 16, we see the text saying that the Pharisees were lovers of money. And in Luke 20, it says that they would devour widows' houses with their greed. I mean, really strong language. So Jesus is calling them on this, saying, look, you guys, you wash the outside of the, the dish, the metaphor, but not the inside. On the outside, you look like you have it all together. But on the inside, you're dirty, and you're filled with greed and with wickedness. You know, every night, Julie and I, have, we have two small boys, and we have to get them down for bed. And man, the process of getting them down is just this long, like, slow landing of the plane. There's a lot of steps in the process to finally get them in bed, one of which is them brushing their teeth. So I'll go up, and I'll put the toothpaste on their toothbrush, and then later I'll walk by, and I will see them kind of off to the side, Brushing their teeth, right? Brushing their teeth. So it might seem like my kids have the appearance of brushing their teeth, but they're not. They're not. All they're doing is they're standing there sucking on the toothpaste because it tastes good, not actually brushing their teeth. So from a distance, it appears as if they are doing something, something good that they're supposed to. But unless I actually go in and brush their teeth myself, they're going to get cavities, right? They're going to get cavities. So it has the appearance of cleanliness, and their breath might even smell good, from sucking on the toothpaste, but their teeth aren't clean, right? There's stuff still in there that is stuck, that needs to be dislodged, that needs to be dealt with, or they're going to be in trouble. And then this is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. You look clean on the outside, but there is a problem on the inside. And in, in stark contrast to the wicked greediness of the Pharisees, Jesus encourages us in this text saying, here's what he says. He says, "'Give his alms those things that are within.'" And behold, everything is clean from you. What, what the heck does that mean? In other words, Jesus says, follow after my lead, after my way, and give of yourselves. Don't take, right? Instead, take what you have and bless others as I have blessed you. Be generous as you do this, and everything will be made clean inside of you. Or again, in other words, as you follow me in faith, man, you'll be purified. You'll have my joy You'll grow more and more into my likeness. You'll start to look more and more like my children. Not that you already aren't. You already are by faith. But you're actually going to start looking like it as you follow me. Let's keep going. Verse 42. Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and you neglect the justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So the second action that we see Jesus addressing now is the Pharisees' neglect of justice and love. 
their neglect of justice and love. So again, as we saw earlier, the Pharisees were, were very strict, right, in their religious practice. Jesus said, you Pharisees, you guys tithe all sorts of things. Again, tithing being the practice of, um, kind of in a broad sense, giving up your resources to God. Okay, that's a very simplified way of saying that. But Jesus says, you, you take it a step too far, right? Tithing even the most minute of things that aren't even really important, like herbs and mint and rue. And you're so, you're so preoccupied with your religious practices that, again, are really kind of just fueling your egos, right? It's not necessarily being done out of a love for God. You're so focused on your religiosity, let's just make that word up, that you actually neglect the word, the more important matters of the law, like fighting for justice and showing love, my love, the love of Jesus to others. Man, this is so tempting, I think, for all of us to fall into. As we, as we fill up our schedule, schedules with good, churchy things, right? But might we be, in any way, and I think we all need to ask this question, I need to, might we be in any way neglecting to fight for justice for those who cannot, perhaps in our workplace or families or neighborhoods or communities? Or might we be in any way failing to show the love of Jesus to those around us, again, in our workplace, in families, in neighborhoods, and communities? Are we laboring just as hard to show Jesus' love as we are laboring to do churchy things? And again, there can certainly be love motivating your church life and spiritual disciplines. Don't mishear me on that. But man, let's not be like the Pharisees, neglecting to show love in favor of religious activities, which is what they're guilty of. This is one reason why at Grace Hill we do programs like the GAP program, where we can deliver food and meet felt needs. I know our group, we delivered some stuff yesterday. I know another group helped uh, somebody move yesterday, which is awesome. And we do this so that we can build relationships with people and show them their need for Jesus. Right? It's why we do mentoring at Herndon Middle School, which we have coming up in the fall, so stay tuned for that. But we do this again so that we can build relationships with these kids in order to be salt and light Man, in a dark world, showing them Jesus' love. 1 John three sixteen, By this we know, love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives, right? We're doing the same thing for our brothers and sisters. We're just following the example of our Savior. Let's keep going. Verse 43. Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Third action we see here that Jesus is addressing the Pharisees is the Pharisees' love of renown, being renowned by others, being recognized as leaders. I'm guilty of this one. Jesus calls out the Pharisees for taking the best seats in the synagogue and for their love of being greeted in the marketplace and just the praise of man, right? Again, these aren't necessarily bad things, but the fact that Jesus is addressing them here signifies to us that they've elevated them too highly in their hearts. And Jesus is always after our hearts, remember. We know this is something that we can all be guilty of, especially because we see that even the disciples struggled with this. Matthew 18, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Luke's account actually tells us that they were fighting over this. And Jesus says, Jesus calls to him a child, and he puts him, the child, in the midst of them, and he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is, in fact, the greatest 
the kingdom of heaven. Man, he's flipping what the Pharisees think on its head. And when I think of a child, I think of one who is, who is humbled, who is assuming, lowly, totally reliant on their parents or guardians. Out of necessity, they have to look to their parents for help and for sustenance. Jesus reminds his disciples that the kingdom is made up of those who are humble and lowly like children, not the greatest, not the most powerful. So it makes sense that Jesus would say, woe to you Pharisees, right? It is a woeful thing that you think that your renown and your praise that you receive from others would cause you to be accepted in the kingdom of God. It is a woeful thing that you think that, that this is what God's kingdom is like, because it's, it's not. This is not the way of the kingdom. This is not the way of Jesus. Instead, humble yourselves like a child. And it's precisely because of the Pharisees, so as we just looked at these last three, their greed, their neglect of God's love, and their craving for renown that Jesus then says in verse 44. Woe to you, for you were like unmarked graves, and people walk all over them, and, now, and, and they don't even know it. The way of the Pharisees leads to death. Jesus says, you're dead inside. You are like unmarked graves that people come into contact with every day and they have no idea what's really beneath the surface. And even though you have the exterior trappings of success and godliness, you're like dead men, right? Unmarked graves. And this is a scary thing, right? This is an indictment coming from Jesus, coming from the one who authors and who gives life, the one who laid down his life so that we might live. He is the definition of life. He's the one who, who spoke at creation and things just started to exist, come into being. He is the total opposite to everything that the Pharisees are. And so we as the readers now of the New Testament must see and heed this warning from our Savior to not follow the way of the Pharisees, but to instead thoughtfully examine ourselves and follow the way of Jesus, the only one who leads to life and joy. Because Romans 8, 6 to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, right? So we see the way of the Pharisees and the way of Jesus. So then a lawyer, which was another really just a Jewish religious leader who was a master in all things relating to the Old Testament Jewish law, the Old Testament that we have, he chimes into the conversation. He probably regrets it. He says to Jesus, verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. The fourth action that we see Jesus addressing now in the Jewish lawyers is the heavy burdens that they place on people. Right? So the Jewish law experts, they get dragged into this too with Jesus. Jesus points out, man, what you guys do is you take these burdens that are hard to bear and you, you toss them on top of people's shoulders, demanding that they meet every one of these tedious laws which may or may not even be in the Old Testament. Or you take the Old Testament law and you misappropriate it, right? You burden people with it in such a way that it was never meant to be. You fail to realize and to teach that the law was put in place to point us to something greater, namely a Savior who would fulfill the law on our behalf. One commentator says, by their interpretation of the law and the addition of their traditions, they made serving God impossible for the average believer. 
The preoccupation with the details of the Pharisaic tradition often resulted in the neglect of God's commandments found in the Old Testament. The concern for, a, for ceremonial aspects of the Jewish law is also seen by the early church as a yoke, right? So remember, think of oxen plowing. It's a yoke, that you're, a heavy yoke that's being put on. A yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. So they pile these burdens on, and then they themselves, one, they don't try to help the people with these burdens, and then two, they themselves neglect the actual Old Testament laws. We saw back in our second Acts, right? They were neglecting love and justice. This is the way of the Pharisees and the lawyers. But this is not the way of Jesus. Right? As Matt read for us a few minutes ago. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And why is it that Jesus' burden is actually light? Because he takes the burden from us. Right? It's a play on words. Jesus takes and lifts the burden from our shoulders. And I want to take a minute and ask this to you, Grace Hill. What burdens might you be carrying right now? What's weighing heavily on you? What's keeping you up at night? What's holding you back from having joy? Did somebody place that burden on you? Are you placing that burden there? What are you carrying? Jesus takes our burdens. He delights in doing so, and it's why he came. So draw near to him. Let him do that. Draw near to the church body, to one another, that we might carry one another's burdens, as it says in James. So the Pharisees and the lawyers say again, you've got to measure up to find God, and Jesus says, no, I'm going to come find you. I'm going to do what you couldn't. I'm going to fulfill the law for you. All you have to do is trust me in faith. Come to me, be with me, be a part of my family. This is the good news of the gospel. John 10, Jesus says, again in contrast, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in too. That's the work that we get to engage in. And they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. By faith, we are brought into the family of God, and Jesus frees us from our burdens. Verse 47, let's keep going. Jesus then says to the lawyers, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. That's a lot, right? A lot going on here. Quick bit of context. Hundreds of years before Jesus, the kings of Israel had gotten way off base. They weren't worshiping the Lord. They were following other gods. There was all sorts of sin on a national level. Uh, there was neglect for those who were in need. There was even child sacrifice going on. It was really bad, bad time. 
And so the Lord sent these prophets to the kings and to the people of Israel, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, all these guys, to proclaim to the people, man, you're way off base. Stop following other gods. Stop ignoring the Lord. Stop neglecting love and justice, which sounds familiar, right? Stop your wicked deeds. Return to the Lord and follow him. Seek him. He longs for you to to come back to him. But if you don't change your ways, because God is holy, there's going to be consequences, man. He must deal with sin and evil. But the people didn't listen. They killed the prophets. And then these are the prophets that Jesus is now talking about here in Luke 11. So Jesus is saying to the lawyers, guys, you, you helped to, pil- to build the tombs of these prophets with your actions. You consent to the deeds of your forefathers who killed the prophets. You were in alignment with all who go against the good wisdom of God from the beginning of the Old Testament where we see Abel to the end of the Old Testament where we see Zechariah. If the prophets came to proclaim God's truth, then you are suppressing the proclamation of what is true and what leads to life. So the fifth fifth action that we see Jesus addressing is the Jewish lawyers silencing God's truth. They're silencing God's truth. And again, they do this by, by silencing Jesus and by opposing the truth that God gave him to proclaim. And so Jesus says that this generation, right, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, that they're all charged and guilty. Why? Because the crescendo and the climax of all that the prophets were building up to is Christ. And you lawyers have condemned Christ. The prophets were small stepping stones leading us to the chief cornerstone, to Jesus. Cornerstone of our faith, right? The one who fulfills the law, as we've said. The one who became sin so that we might become righteous. Because we couldn't follow the law perfectly, as the Pharisees and the lawyers like to suggest. And so it is in this way that they are guilty of silencing God's truth by silencing Jesus the prophets, and ultimately the only possible way that we have of experiencing salvation, which is by faith in Jesus, not law following. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. The lawyers and the Pharisees are trying to squash the way back to God, which is Christ. They are silencing God's truth, And Jesus doesn't take kindly to it. Verse 52. Last one. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So number six, Jesus addresses the lawyers suppressing, kind of similar to point five, but they're suppressing the knowledge of God. Or in other words, Jesus says that the lawyers are trying to take away the key thing that leads to right knowledge of salvation, which is Jesus. And not only do they do that, but then they hinder people from entering into this saving knowledge by doing what? What do we say? By, By casting heavy burdens on the people, saying you have to follow the law perfectly, which is opposed to the gospel, and by silencing God's truth through suppressing the truths of Jesus, right? They, they hinder the people from entering into salvation by grace through faith in Christ. They take away the key of knowledge, suppressing knowledge that leads to salvation. And then they themselves, Jesus says, they aren't a part of God's kingdom, even though they think that they are, right? Remember Matthew 18, the kingdom of made is made up of those who are humble and lowly like children, not those who seem great in their own eyes, not the most powerful or the most knowledgeable. 
The lawyers are taking away the key of knowledge. I believe that a really powerful counter story to this one is uh, the story that we see in all four Gospels of Jesus driving out the money changers in the temple. So the story is found, again, in all the Gospels. And what happens is, is the Jews are exchanging and selling goods and services at exorbitant prices, profiting um, in the outer part of the temple. And so this makes Jesus really mad for a couple of good reasons. One, people are selling goods and wares and making profit instead of actually worshiping and meeting and fellowshipping with God. So the, the priorities have shifted. Jesus is not happy about that. That's not what the temple's for. And then number two, the part of the temple where they were doing this was the outer temple, which is the only place where non-Jews had come in to worship Yahweh. And so non-Jews are now being excluded from worshiping God, which is why Jesus says in Mark's account of the story, he says, this should be a house of prayer for the nations. Man, you jokers have made it a den of thieves. So Jesus is upset and what he does is he literally, it says this in John, he makes a whip, he goes into the temple, and he drives them out. Flipping their tables, he makes a huge scene. And I think we hear that story, and we tend to think, gosh, Jesus, that is, it's a bit much. It's not very nice. Why would you do that? And again, Grace, so what I'm trying to help us do this morning is to see how the way that Jesus behaves with the Pharisees and the lawyers though strong, actually betrays his infinite goodness, love, and compassion. And I want to share a brief quote from a book that our staff is reading right now, a great book called Gentle and Lowly, about our Savior. And I want to read this quote for us, specifically about Jesus and the money changers in the temple. Just listen to this. In short, the scribes and the Pharisees are guilty of the blood of a whole string of righteous prophets, their heart for the people was the opposite of Jesus' heart. They wished to use the people to build themselves up. Jesus wished to serve the people, to build them up. Jesus wanted to gather the people under his wings the way a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings for maternal care and protection. What about driving the money changers out of the temple? That wasn't exactly a very gentle thing to do. The name of the book is Gentle and Lowly, right? How does this fit with that we're actually told that Jesus made the whip himself in John 2. Picture him there, off alone, weaving back and forth, calmly constructing the weapon by which he would ferociously drive out the money changers, flipping over their tables. But why did he do this? Because they had perverted the use of the temple, right? Remember, non-Jews couldn't come in. They're just profiting off their goods. Why did he do this? This was the house of God, the one place where sinners could come and offer sacrifices and enjoy fellowship with God, reassurance of his favor and grace. It was to be a place of prayer, of blessed interchange between God and his people. The money changers were the ones doing the real overturning, overturning the temple from a place to know and see God to a place to make money. What we are saying is that, yes, Christ got angry and still gets angry, for he is the perfect human who loves too much to remain indifferent. And this righteous anger reflects his heart, his tender compassion. But because his deepest heart is tender compassion, he is the quickest to get angry and feel anger most furiously, and all without a hint of sin tainting his anger. Right, so we see Jesus' response to the Pharisees. It's strong. And as the readers 
I believe it's a call to examine our hearts. And why does Jesus want us to examine our hearts? It's not because he's a bossy leader. It's not because he just wants to be, us to be blindly submitted. No, it's, it's because Jesus knows that a heart fully surrendered to and following him is the only place where we find true joy and true peace. And so I'm going to invite the band Uh, the band guys to come back up and they can begin playing. We're going to move to a time of communion, time of communion where we invite you guys to come up and to partake of the elements. And as they're coming back and as we prepare to do this, during this time of taking communion, I'd love for us to do uh, just a couple things. We're going to have some prompts on the screen here. Uh, Nikki, if you want to put that up. But I want us to, Grace Hill, to examine our hearts. And I want us to ask uh, the question, I want us to ask, which of these six actions might you see in yourself, or at the very least, see yourself gravitating towards, right? Because, man, we've all seen greed. I think I've seen in myself a tendency to neglect justice and love for the sake of maybe just religious activity. Love of renown, guilty, for sure. Maybe you have a tendency of placing burdens on yourself, maybe even others. And then the last two, I think, are a little more egregious, silencing God's truth, suppressing the knowledge of God. But I think we do that in subtle ways. I think um, there are ways that we try to keep away from what God might be trying to tell us. I think there's ways that we avoid spending time in God's word so that he can speak, so that the knowledge of salvation and right living can be seen and can be felt and kind of soak in. So again, as the band plays again, we, we invite you to come to partake of communion. Communion is a time of remembrance and reflection of what Jesus has done as, as the juice symbolizes Christ's blood that was shed and the bread symbolizes Christ's body that was broken, right? So the work that he did so that we might have salvation. That's what communion is. It's an act of remembrance. And so we invite you to come as the band plays and we'll give you maybe three to five minutes or so uh, to pray silently to yourself, to reflect on these questions, to examine your heart to ask the Lord to show you where you might need to, something you might need to surrender to him. And then as you feel ready and as you feel led, whenever you want, uh, please come up and partake of the elements.